Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, the Hall of Famer. And this is Coaching Kernan, episode 309. We're joined here today by stars of two of our other shows, Will George, star of A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. We'll be back Friday with that show. Roy Jones, or Roy Smith, I'm sorry, will be on New York Mets Scout as a guest. And, of course, Sal Marinello, the star of the Hot Corner, joins us today. Uh, guys, welcome back to your show. We've had uh, 50,000, we're up to 51,000 subscribers now. iHeartRadio is taking a look at what we're doing and, and loving their choice. Still get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Uh, guys, welcome back to the show. Great to great be here. here, Dave. Yeah, yeah, good to see you guys again. But, uh, good to hear you, Sal. We've, uh, we've had uh, a lot happening in the sports world right now, but uh, before we get into anything, Deep, want to pass the ball over to our star, Kevin Kernan, here to get us rolling. Two great articles again. A lot going on. We've, everybody follows you on social media, so uh, let, let us let us have it here. What's going on out there? Yeah, great time to be a sports fan, and um, the Giants suck, by the way. Just want to mention that first, because I know I'm going to get uh, into baseball, but uh, it's amazing to me how you can try to build an offensive line for 10 years, and uh, I'm sure we'll address that later with Coach Sal, but uh it, uh, two, two, two quick points, and I'm gonna because we got a lot to talk about, so I'm not gonna ha- hang it up too long. Bruce Bochy, I wrote about him last, you know, earlier this week. I would say it would be, uh, and he's, you know, he's got 81 postseason games. I'm watching. I'm I'm not watching every game, but I'm watching a lot of games because I'm watching a lot of football too. Um, but Bochy, it's so obvious to me that Bochy is a is a huge difference maker because he doesn't pay attention to all the nerds. They get, they get too nerdy. Bochy sees things, does things. Um, and this column, the Bochy column, Boch, I called it Boch ball. Um, I had so many baseball people reach out to me and I'm talking about, you know, everything from GMs to ex managers, uh, you know, coaches, they all respect what he does. And it's so dumb to me how baseball will not hire guys like Bochi, who is, uh, you know, um, I think Bochi is 67 now. He needed a break. A great line he gave to me in his last year, I was sitting with him in the dugout in Oracle Park and in the Giants dugout. And, and, you know, Bochi's got that dry, dry sense of humor. And he goes, yeah, I said, you know, we all knew he was going to leave after the year. What we don't know is how much the nerds in the San Francisco pushed him out. My guess is it was like an 80-20 thing. They were pushing him out. They wanted to go with guys like Gabe Capita. Good for them. Um, we see where that went. But So I asked Boach, I said, is it time? And he goes, Kevin. You know, he said, that's what I told him, Kevin. He goes, 25 straight years of managing, three stents. Three stents, it's time. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to see when somebody looks at himself that well, they're going to look at your players that well too, and really bring in the guys that do. The, the The Rangers don't have the best talent; they have some talented players. Don't get me wrong, but Bochi has the guts to make the moves. And I'm telling you right now, I'm I'm really good at predicting young players who are going to be stars. Evan Carter is going to be a superstar. Yeah. Superstar. Uh, he's so calm at the plate. He he's a great fielder. He's a baseball player. I don't know how he snuck through in this generation, me generation, uh, but he's a baseball player. Second That's- thing I want to address, I wrote about the Phillies. They blew it last night. We'll talk about that. But the Phillies, uh, they get punched in the mouth. They bounce back. I expect them to bounce back. We'll see, though. But if they don't, they will rule the, rule the day that they Hoffman through the slider. Ridiculous. Will and I have talked about this all year. So many sliders have killed teams. When they got good fastballs, uh, Riley Wheeler, you know, I texted with Wheeler this week. He had a great game. Um, he gave up the home run to Darnell, the ex-Met. And, and by the way, the Braves need to play Darnell. You can't play Murphy now. The Braves got to play Darnell the rest of the series. 
he just gives you that capability to hit, get big hits. He's, he's always been that great kid. Wheeler's a great kid. Uh, he got he got Riley out with fastballs. They get a little shaky that because he misses on a, a like a two two fastball. JT Realmuto was a good 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 thing. You know he calls a great game, but he called for the slider there. Terrible mistake. Riley, we all saw what happened. I don't have to get into that. But then he makes the great Derek Jeter play. So give you know the Braves needed that. Do they have enough pitching to come back? My final point, real quick, because I'm we'll address this too. Stop being soft, players and writers. I, I'm already reading, and, and guys have respect, but I, you got to write every day. So sometimes you get some things that are kind of crazy. But stop whining about the Dodgers and the Braves and the, the format. Oh, they have five days off; it slows them down. You know what? Strap it on. Let's go. These these teams. That's what's wrong with this generation. They're just so damn soft. Everybody. I mean, right. go out there and play, all right? You know, do what the Phillies are doing. Do what the Rangers are doing. Do what the Diamondbacks are doing. You know, I have to laugh because Steve Cohen wants to be the and, – and if I read it one more time from the writers in New York, oh, Steve Cohen wants to be the West Coast Dodgers. Why doesn't he be the West – you know, the uh, – I mean, East Coast Dodgers. Why doesn't he be the East Coast Diamondbacks where they focused on uh, defense, uh, speed, athleticism? And, 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 of course, the Mets gave them the missing piece. And I said it at the time. Tommy Pham was right. The Mets are soft. They don't work hard. We see what the Diamondbacks are doing. He makes a big solemn base, with it, and he's got turf toe. And that makes a difference in that game. And lo and behold, the Diamondbacks are up 2-0. So that's, uh, that, that's some things I want to touch on. But we can go any. You know, Brock Purdy, we love him as well. So a lot of good things. Yeah, let's. Uh, where, do, where do you want to toss the ball, Kevin? Just want to go John Smoltz, MSN, while we're on base. Uh, yeah, I, I go anywhere. I can go anywhere, and uh, that's the beauty of the show. You, you, you can't stop me. Yeah. Can I, fo- can I follow up on Kevin yeah. a little bit? Uh, I was going to say, well, I'm sure Will has some thoughts, so go ahead, Will. Okay, on Boach, let's go with him first. Uh, he watches the game. Yeah. Isn't that um, something? Isn't that so- we got a manager who watches the game. He doesn't have a bunch of notebooks and iPads in front of him. Uh, And John Smoltz, who made so many great points in that broadcast on Sunday and then was criticized by some young progressive writer yesterday, the point he made is that Montgomery, in a game where he had to sit a half hour almost every inning in the dugout, still Mm -hmm. got into the fifth inning and never really breathed, let the Orioles have any life breath breathe back into them. Then he brings in the other left-hander who gets him to the eighth inning, which nobody in baseball ever would do now because they go scripted. Okay. This guy's the sixth, this guy's the seventh, this guy's the eighth, this guy's the ninth, depending on the score, everything's algorithm. Well, the Phillies fell into that trap yesterday. And so, that left-hander sat out there and threw high fastballs that the Orioles chased and swung through and got them to the eighth inning. Um, so good for them on that and good for Boach not following a script there. Um, and then uh, the other point on Evan Carter, a uh, little background on him. He was a COVID-year high school senior who only played three games he was not a perfect game showcase all over the country kid. He was a small yeah. town Tennessee kid, right? Yeah, Elizabethan, Tennessee. He did not go to the East Coast Pro Showcase. He didn't go to the area code games. But they had a coach, a minor league coach who played professional baseball that said, I got a kid that lives around me that's unbelievable, good Christian kid who comes from a great family, great work ethic. He's a great athlete. And they had him all lined up, and nobody else even knew about him. Well, to back up your point, Will, I was reading up on this, and uh, Baseball America did not have him in their top 500 prospects at the time. And that tells you all you need to know about Baseball America. Well, they're in bed bed with perfect game. Yep. And they write up all the same kids – from the time that they start paying perfect game for showcases when they're 12 years old and they start ranking them then. And those kids all get the best division one scholarships. They get drafted. 
They sit on prospect lists, lists in baseball. They underperform, but they never move off of any organization's top 30s. And then they end up in top 100s. And then they end up being busts in the big leagues. The biggest misnomer is those kids aren't – and when these kids sign collegiately or professionally, perfect game puts them out there like they developed these kids. And, and yeah. they really haven't. No, they, they haven't done coaching. anything. They haven't done the anything. Thought, the thought that you can extrapolate – based on what a kid is at 12 or 13, especially in baseball. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's just beyond that. You have to even explain it is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, I read, well, he's been on the radar since he was 12 years old and you go, you know, my gosh. And like you said, Dave, nobody develops them. First of all, the good Lord gave them physicality and uh, abilities that, most kids don't have the ones that are really, really good. And they just go out and play and they like to play and they like to work and they become really good players. And perfect game has nothing to do with it except they collect their money and they collect everybody that comes to the game's money and they make a lot of money every year. Wow, you know, go quick. You know, he, he reminds me of Mattingly a little bit, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. The, his approach at the plate. Yeah. And, uh, yep. The, you know, the only paid. reason that you, it's so noteworthy, everyone knows Todd Frazier played in the in the Little League World Series, is because no one else really did it. I, I believe there was a New York Ranger, Chris. I think it was Chris Drury, who who wound up who played in Little League and it was a hockey player. So, I, and I think I saw some stat. It was there's been 45 players that made the major leagues that played in the Little League World Series. Now I'm not sure if that was the final game or the tournament, but Regardless, that tells you what that means also. Yeah, I think the two most popular were Todd and uh, uh, Lloyd McClendon. Uh, had an unbelievable Little League World Series as well. Yeah, and the kid, the kid from Thin Burrows have a great one too, I think. Yeah, but so- I was there for Todd, and you could tell Todd was a leader and was going to go places. But even then, Sal, to back up your point, he had to go to Rutgers. He had to, you know, eventually. He had to do well in high school, Tom's River. I had to go to Rutgers. He had to develop, and he had to develop in the minor leagues a little bit. So it's it's ludicrous the whole twelve year old thing. Yeah. And I hear I hear it here um, with both not just baseball but other sports of going to these IMG places to get on the radar, and that's that's the next level in the scam. Where you know the club, you know, the club is still giving an opportunity to develop and play with better kids. And as the sports at the high school level changes, specifically here in New Jersey, baseball is being decimated by the by the club uh, model. That they they're they're getting the chance to play, but you go to these IMGs where they're charging you now forty, fifty, sixty grand, whatever it is to go on top of the over 40, I think it's over forty five a thousand a year. So well, IMG, I'm gonna disagree vehemently. I if I had the money and my kid was good, he's going to IMG. No, I'm not blaming them. I'm saying there's the there's the mind I'm not it's not it's not the IMG side of the equation. It's uh, you know, we I see it and, and it's starting it's time to kind of get the parents a little more responsible for what they're doing. The IMG's there and existing and has the track record. I'm not. I'm not pointing them out. I'm saying okay. I That's see good. the parents that are thinking because they could send their kid to that place, it's going to make them something that they're just not meant to be. Well, and- Sal, haven't we, ha- Sal? You and I are Jersey guys. Haven't we lived that the, our whole lives and with the kids all the way through the Don Boscos and right on through in every sport? I mean, yes, but but the difference is if you do that and and go to the Bosco or even a Seton Hall prep in certain sports, by the time you're into your sophomore year, you have to be a legit player. And it has nothing to do with your club or who your trainer is or who you, if you go to Parisi or go to somebody else, you have to have it. You have to be good. They have tryouts. That's the other thing. And again, Mm -hmm. the parents have to change their mindset. Again, I'm not, I'm not even blaming the clubs here. I'm blaming the parents because the parents are the one that feed the beast. You could look at a, an IMG and they have the track record, but because you want to spend to get your kid to go there doesn't mean that they're going to go there. And that's, that's part of the issue on, and, and then that, and then that kind of filters down into the club and they think, well, then I'm going to have them go to XYZ club and spend money on all year instruction. And you're still not going to make something, someone, something they are not. 
Well, the parents are the key in a lot of ways. I agree with that. Yeah. You can see it even in the majors, to flip it back to the majors, Kirk Irving's dad, when he was crying, when the kid made his debut, I guarantee Evan Carter's parents are, are, are top-notch, uh, like Sal said, with the Christian background. So the parents – actually, that's why sports are in a big problem. It's a, it's a great era for sports, but it's also a very dangerous era for sports well, when you see what the parents are doing to screw it up. And I heard a great – Sal, this is right up your alley. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about – about free, I'm like that guy in the commercial, you know, there's a podcast for that. So I was listening to a podcast about this uh, free movement and stuff like that and where we are as a nation. And get this, this is this is a true, true number. The amount of free play, free play for kids is down to seven minutes per week. That means, you know, not an organized game, just going out free play. The average number if you take all the kids that are sitting in their rooms playing video games, combine them with the kids that may be out playing more, seven minutes a week. That's ridiculous. And the parents have really dropped the ball there. Um, less than prisoners. You know, uh, let me piggyback on that. And you guys know I've talked about this, that, and I'm in baseball. And the biggest service we could do as a billion, six or $8 billion a year industry is to educate parents and kids. And we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not telling them the truth. Um, And every one of our major sports owes it to the kids and the parents in this country to tell them the truth. How do you do that, Will? Well, you know, you have people that work for good people like me and other scouts and player development people all over the country that would sit down with parents and do uh, clinics during the winter where you just talk to them and you educate them. If your son truly loves this game, uh, have him continue to develop his passion by just going out and playing the game with his friends, having a catch, taking batting practice, running, doing things. You know, you know, it's not about being in some indoor batting cage place all winter long, somebody feeding you soft toss. And that's going to be a magic pill to make you a big league player. You know, uh, you know, pick and choose where you actually spend your money. Uh, revitalize our, our youth programs and our towns and our regions so that kids and parents don't have to spend the money that none of us have now because the country's in such a bad place there, traveling around the country to go get hopefully seen somewhere. And and be and become a better player. It that the traveling doesn't make you a better player. You know, first of all, the good Lord gives you what physical attributes you have, and you work on making them the best you can be. But nobody's telling them that that stuff. So we have people that are stealing families' money. Uh, you know, Time Magazine did an article, and this was, I think, almost ten years ago, and I think I still have the article. Travel sports had become a $5 billion a year business that families were spending. That was 10 years ago. Can you imagine what it is now? Uh, And you know what, Will? It's not just that. I have a buddy whose daughter was, I'm putting it in quotes, a high-level cheerleader. She actually was. Went to competition. She did get a kind of a a partial. I'm not sure if it was a partial or a full. But they bankrupted themselves going to all these literally yeah. to these cheer competitions. So yeah. it's, it's not just the sports. Yeah. It's, no, it's, you know, I, the I, ego I, of saying you get a scholarship. That's basically yeah. what they're chasing that, that ego. What I, and will, to your point about major league baseball, I think that that's the way to go. The part that bothers me and I'm sitting on the, the peripheral a little bit as a, you know, a former player and a former coach, now a parent. And as I see these parents spending thousands of dollars on this crazy catching lessons and hitting, and it's all the wrong stuff. These guys that are teaching it have no background in teaching and they have no right teaching it, but they point to major league baseball as their validation. So they go to YouTube and say, well, the, the giants are teaching their catchers this way, or so-and-so is teaching their hitters to, to barrel dump or pitchers are throwing max velocity here. So that's a major league baseball has got to flip the script. And like you said, put guys like yourself out in front and endorse that way of, of life and get this pendulum back. Well, we see it in football too, because it, with Brock Purdy, you know, Mr. Irrelevant, 
you know, he he wasn't on the high high list, but he 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 can read. He's a natural player. You you watch him go through his progressions. He'll go through four progressions before Zach Wilson goes through one. Right. So uh, yeah, it's it's not. Let's. Look, I just want to make this clear. It's not just. Oh no. Not just no. baseball. Yeah. The, com- the combine mentality has ruined evaluation for all the sports because when you look at what these combines are testing, very little of it. Historic. You, let's look look at the NFL because everybody wants to copy them. Everyone wants to be football for whatever reason. Now I, I'm a football guy and I love it, but the combine and the training mentality has infected other sports, which is responsible for a lot of the trouble and problems we're seeing. But the measurables in these, it, it, you, again, look at the NFL. The only the only testing parameter that correlates to success, to success in the NFL is the 40-yard dash with skill position players. There's not another one of the tests they do there that has anything to do with success that shows success or predicts success in the NFL. We well, saw two, two number three draft picks sitting on the sideline the other night when the Giant or when the Niners played the Cowboys. Purdy's backup was uh, Darnold, who was a number three pick in the draft, and then Trey Lance, another number three pick, was the backup for the Cowboys. And here's Brock Purdy, passed over for what seven rounds? Yeah, um, last, last look, player at, in the draft. look at Kirk Cousins, who was picked in the fifth round the same year. RG three was the first round. Now RG three was hurt, granted, but you know you've got the same situation. He's a fifth year. A fifth round pick, I believe, and he's whether you like him or not, has been an incredibly productive quarterback. Yeah, he's he's a very good quarterback. It's well, you play uh, you quarterback. Know, you, would you would you agree, maybe outside of catching, that the quarterback in professional sports is the most cerebral of positions? And yeah, it, it, the most it, studied it, position. And how do we get it wrong? Like how do how do they? I mean, people waste billions of dollars on quarterbacks, and here. Brock Purdy's Mr. Irrelevant, you know, Kevin brought up. And, and he even his father played minor league baseball. So it's not like he doesn't have an athletic pedigree. No, um, you know, I, you know, I, I think, and, and Sal nailed it. Um, and baseball's gone to a combine too. And we measure physicality only. We don't, we don't measure skill. And Brock Purdy possesses skill. He possesses a instinct for the game. He's, he, he, Possesses an instinct to read defenses. He he sees the field better, as we talked about last week. And I love physical guys. I love guys that can do many things. But there's also um, there has to be a calmness. There has to be an ability to slow the game down, which this kid seems to have, and see the whole field and do things that guys, other guys in the NFL, aren't doing right now. Well, that's because, you know, one of the reasons that's a, and that's a great point, Will. And, uh, you know, guys like the, the people who are that and, and, and you would address this here, but the people who are evaluating, I don't think they see this stuff half the time. Now, I know John Lynch well, you know, San Francisco and um, and uh, he was his dad was owned basically owned the radio station that I worked at KFMB. His dad was organized. And I remember John from, you know, being a player in the NFL, uh, covered the Chargers. He sees those things. You know, he he, he gets it. And, yes, he, he picked the other quarterback early, but you got to – sometimes you go with your scouts. And uh, it's like, you know, it's it, – it, it's, it's, and it's, at some point you say, I'm going, this guy's got it. He's got it. And, uh, I you know, it's, it's like when Josh Allen came out. I saw him twice in college, and I was telling all my – I actually told a Jets scout because I was covering the Jets a little bit then – Jet Scout was at a game out in Wyoming at War Memorial Stadium. And I went up to see him in the press box. And first of all, I could tell right away, like, the Jets weren't serious in Josh Allen. And that, that you know, that's, that's I think that's the year they tipped Arnold. Um, so the Scout was a little nerdy guy, looked like he was about 23 years old, nice kid. But I came away from that conversation saying, hey, this, you know, they, they're just sending out somebody who's not really can evaluate. So I knew they weren't going to take him. But that's my point. If you don't have people who can evaluate those skills, Bruce Bochy, I'm sure the first time he saw Evan Carter, you know, he probably said, wow, player, you know. And, you know, he finds them every World Series or every playoffs. He finds a guy like that. You know, the Cody Rosses, him and Sabian, uh, you know. Uh, and, and and so he's given he, – he broke him in nicely, batting him ninth. He's moving him up. 
but you got to have people in charge who know what they're doing to make these wonderful athletic and cerebral players successful. Yeah, you know, you uh, you mentioned the NFL guy. There's a NFL coach. He's with a team now, and he has a son that plays, and a friend of mine represents his son as a, an agent, and he, so he has a good relationship with him. And he won a Super Bowl a few years back here, and uh, uh, the team had a little bit of a down year, and he was in the pre-draft meeting, and uh, the, the analytics had taken over a lot of things and they were talking about a receiver that they took in the first or second round that all the analytics said that, that he had the best UZR rating or whatever, you know, for, and he said, well, I made a bunch of phone calls to coaches that were the ones that coached them and the ones that were in his league and said that when the, you throw a ball into a crowd, he gets alligator arms. Oh yeah. And that, that brings that, me, I, I got, again, that's what's great about this show. You, you make me think of different things. So that I, guy, you know, and, and he goes, when he yeah. made that comment, the owner and the <laughs> GM and everybody in the room gave him looks. And he told my friend that represents him and his son that he said, I'm not long for here, but he's <laughs> landed back on his feet and he's a very good NFL coach. But boy, you're not allowed to speak against uh, the numbers. Uh, and tell the truth about what you see. Well, let me go back to Ryan Leaf. I covered the Chargers then, and uh, I was good friends with Bobby Bethard. And you remember how what a bust he was. Yeah. And so about a year or two two years later, I went up to Bobby. And, and the great thing was, again, you got to ask the right questions. Who knows how these writers today, a lot of them even ask questions, even think of this. I said to Bobby, and I just flat out said, I said, Bobby, how did you F that one up? You know? And this is a... And, and Bobby being Bobby, very honest guy, he'll, he'll admit he screwed up. But he said, you know what, Kevin? The college coach lied to us. He told us he told us uh, that this kid could handle the pressure and all this stuff. But that's where your scouts have to come in and see what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to what Will mentioned about the combine in baseball, and I never thought I'd be the guy bringing the conversation back to baseball from football, but uh, – Let's have one of these guys show us what the correlation is between the vertical jump and success in baseball. Again, correlation doesn't equal causation, but I would still like to even see if there is a rough correlation between what a guy vertical jumps in this combine and performance at the major league level. Right. No. Just show us. I mean, we again, you could, there's been studies you could – look at online and find the studies that they've done in the NFL. And despite the fact that they've only seen a correlation with the 40 yard dash, they still do all the other nonsense. So let's, let's ask the guys in baseball. will show us what the core, you have the data show us. You know, you still have to watch Sal, you know, out here, I'll give you two examples. There's two kids playing center field out here in the Arizona fall league right now. And one of them is a, Six foot, 180 pound uh, with elite speed. And he's going to be a very good center fielder. But the second best center fielder is an average runner who's 6'4", 230, and has power. And he's a really interesting kid in the Cleveland organization. But he has baseball instincts. When the ball goes through the zone and it's on the outer part of the plate, he's leaning that way towards right center field a little bit. He always seems to get good jumps on balls. That's why you have to watch a game. The measurables are not the only thing. You have to watch the game and see, you know, when the ball's hit and you look up and both of those kids are in full stride when you look out there. And, and, and you know, the, the other thing, Will, too, is it, it depends when you're looking at those measurables. If you're looking at a kid who's in high school and he's off the charts – you know, if, especially if he's younger, then you say, well, geez, you know, this kid is so athletic. We have to find yeah. a spot for him. But if you're, if you're talking about more of a mature kid, it, it means different things. It doesn't mean success. It doesn't mean a guy who, like you said, is a little doesn't maybe have the instincts or maybe is, is not good at certain aspects of the game. 
you, you don't elevate that kid to the first round because he could have a 42 inch vertical jump. Oh, no. Well, no, I'm and, not saying you're and, saying that, but I think that's what happens is that's oh, why you get exactly. Zach Wilson. I still remember they talked about, oh, we made this unbelievable throw at the combine. Well, he's in shorts and a t shirt, and there's no defense. Right. So that's yeah, not the, that's a six, six, 300 pound guy chasing him either. Right. That's the confusion. They elevate. I'm not saying it, it doesn't mean a kid can't be a project or turn into something and it is used as a great evaluation tool. But the problem I think we're seeing is kids jumping from low prospect in, in many sports to first round pick or, or, or prominence because of just those measurables, like you said, without watching what they do in the heat of a competition. Yeah, well, and Kevin just wrote about uh, Johan Rojas, the Phillies minor league player of the year who is going to probably end up being one of the elite defenders in center field in the big leagues. Well, that was a $10,000 sign out of the Dominican Republic that their people saw a kid with elite speed, with tremendous work ethic, who was a smart kid, who has made himself, you know, one of the better center fielders in baseball right now. You watch him and this kid that's playing for Atlanta as well. The two of them are, are two kids that – not only have the physicality, but they've learned the nuances of the game, which are reading reading swings, reading the ball through the zone, uh, knowing who your pitcher is, knowing who your hitter is. All those things come into play that are not just measurable, that are not just numbers, that are not just statistics that, uh, you know, when you look at your card and say, you know, X marks the spot for this hitter. You know, you know, those kids are active. They're moving. They're moving pitch to pitch. Uh, you know, they might be playing a guy to pull, and all of a sudden Wheeler's throwing and they see he's late. Well, they're going to start – they're going to play maybe the other way a little bit. React to the moment. Well, I got a question. They don't, have to, look at a card. A they don't okay. have to look at a card, right, Dave? No, yeah. exactly. Well, Kevin, you can answer this too, Will, uh, or any of you three. Yeah. So how do we, you know, and I agree totally, watching Bruce Bochy watches the game. When you're watching the difference between these two center fielders, you're watching the game. Um, you know, Sal's talking about the, the combine. We, we've, we've got to watch more. We, you know, not to, to bounce it back to football and Brock Purdy, but we've seen evidence of Brock Purdy on the field now at the pro level. He hasn't lost a regular season game yet. He's, I mean, he's, I think he's 25 touchdowns, three interceptions, somewhere close to that. But we still have pundits going on television like a Rex Ryan saying, if you could plug anybody into that spot and, you know, if you put the, who's the kid for New England, you plug him into the spot, Mac Jones, he would he would get the same numbers. I mean, there's but, still no respect for Brock. No, Purdy. that's Rex. I know Rex well, and he's a defensive coach. He, he doesn't know offense. That was his, that's why he, he fell apart. Uh, he's entertaining. He's also trying to get what I call verbal clicks, you know, yeah. trying to get your, but uh uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a line out from Have, uh, from Henry David Thoreau. It takes two to speak the truth, one to speak, another to hear, and that and that's 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 the problem. A lot of people don't want to hear it, and and I'm gonna tell you right, right now why anybody can't do that because he stretches the field too, and he shows out his numbers outside the numbers uh, out you know are, are 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 tremendous as well, and plus he can. He can take, you know, they do so many different plays, um, like like that uh, the touchdown that they threw to Kittle the other day. You know, that's called the spear play because when they put their guys in motion that, with the tight end, everybody has a different. There's different. Uh, they're all different airlines. There's a Delta Spirit, whatever, and uh, that play was run eight games into last season. And I think uh, a team ran it uh, this week as well and was getting credit for it, but they directly stole it from them. So Hurdy can, he can recognize all that. And if you look where he's dropping these passes into the bucket, I mean, everybody can't do that. And it's a joke. And that tells me more about Rex Ryan than anything else. And, and that's why he, he was not successful as a head coach. Well, and it also minimizes what the Niners have done, and this, this, the Patriots stink. I mean, they don't have any weapons on the team. They, they're terrible. And Mac Jones, it's not helping him, but Mac Jones is another example of that. that's the actually the other side of the coin, in my opinion. You look at a guy who was a good player in a system that was dominant at the time, 
And if you look at what the Alabama quarterbacks have done in the pros, you have that has to have some bearing on your choice on your pick. You have, you know, now we have two guys who played well and are doing well in the pros in Tua and in Hertz, but a lot of those other guys, McCarron, McElroy, who's a great an analyst on ABC, but wasn't an ESPN, but wasn't a very good pro. I think he was a backup for the Jets for a bit. Most of those guys that ran those legacy teams at Alabama have not panned out. So Mac Jones, I think, was the opposite end of that. It seemed to be the guy that, you know, they wanted to say he was Brady. Well, Brady wasn't a first-round pick for all those reasons. And and now you're going to elevate this guy and change your, your pay structure and have all the ramifications of what happens when you pick a, a guy, a quarterback, that's the wrong guy. And, and it messes up your team. And and it, so, again, just to go back, it minimizes all the great things that Lynch and the Niners have done to say, oh, you just can plug and play those two guys. No, you can't. You know, we and we talked about it last week. The, the, the really, really elite quarterbacks have that synergy and timing where they're, they're releasing passes before their players. They, they have that connection with their receivers that the ball's always right there and it's not interceptable. And th- that's what Purdy has and that's what Brady had and that's what Aaron Rodgers had. There, there's just that, that synergy of seeing the field, knowing your receivers, doing it over and over every day, having receivers that run good routes and delivering the ball on time. I, you know, I'm not. A, I was never an elite quarterback. I had a good arm, but I also understood, and I had a really good coach. And I we talked about my program that you know, hey, you know, you let it go, and if, and and if he's not looking when he's supposed to doing 15 and out, then then shame on him, you know. So that's that that's that timing that keeps you from getting intercepted, and you always making good passes to your receivers. Well, the other point, too, is the X factor getting about they don't know what they're seeing sometimes in the measurables. When you talk to guys from San Francisco, and I, I've seen some interviews, and, and again, it's a, it's a different mindset in the locker room. They say that Brock Purdy is one of the boys. So he's got he's got that offensive line mentality. Uh, you know, Eli had that. They, 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 they clown around, you know, in the clubhouse with the guys. They're not, they don't put themselves on a pedestal. So you put all those factors in there, and that's why you have a team that's undefeated. And I'd be very curious to see if they can, um, we'll see what happens. It's, it's, it's so tough, but uh, maybe they can match the Dolphins. You know, he, and, and, and he showed his toughness last year in that playoff game against the Eagles when he, he was seriously injured, but he continued to try to play and that does not go, go unnoticed by the guys who get their teeth kicked in that are trying to block for him and run 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 the ball hard and they get hit hard and they know that that they got a guy who's got a big set that's a <laughs> balls that's with them every step of the way did you guys see his press conference afterwards with the, how he spoke intelligently and he hit on every single facet of his team and outside yeah. of him and very humble um yep. Very, I mean, smart wins to me. And I get concerned that we're dumbing down a position like we do with pitchers and catchers in baseball right. where the coaches are calling everything, but the coaches are driven by somebody upstairs who's feeding them analytics. We saw it in the college game this weekend with University of Miami. They had uh, they had the game one against Georgia Tech. And I'm thinking, like, if I'm a quarterback, and again, I wasn't a quarterback, I'm not on the field, but – all Miami had to do was fall on the ball. There was under 40 seconds to go, kneel it, and they won the game. Yeah. They decided to hand it off, and I'm thinking, I've got my 13-year-old jumping around the living room telling, you know, kneel, kneel, kneel. As a quarterback, why wouldn't you look over to the right. sideline and shake your head? No, 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 no. Um, I think what happened there, and again, that's one of the worst losses in college football history, if not the worst, because they also don't forget – they let him drive down the field a little bit, and they got behind him. Got behind. Him. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, my guess here, this is my educated guess, and again, this is why I did the job well for many years. And I wish some of the writers would have asked this that were down there. That kid was the, the running back was coming up to 100 yards, and I don't know if he was right at 100 
I think they were looking for a personal goal there oh. as opposed to just dropping Wrong. the knee. And it, it, it's something that will haunt, you know, that, that, you know, that coach forever. And again, but, but you know, we've seen it, we've seen it in baseball. A lot of coaches and managers don't know what they're doing. I mean, we, we talked about Gabe Kapler for, for forever. Um, we're seeing it in college football. The Notre Dame coach. Oh my God. Well, I don't, I don't want to get into it again. Cause you know, the Notre Dame fans are, are, you know, they have to live with this. That's, that's what it's going on. But to not realize you take a knee and to not to have the stones as a quarterback, like you said, Dave, to look over and, uh, and just, uh, no, we, we, I'm taking a knee here. And, and I heard a great thing this week too on, um, uh, uh, Russellberg, Ben, big Ben in, in Pittsburgh, he would often call his own play and make believe he couldn't hear. And, right. and he got a stupid place and then he, he would make believe he didn't hear and then call his own play. And if you look what happened with the Steelers this week, they win uh, on a, on a, on an audible touchdown, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't know if you saw the video. It's, it's, people see it, find this video. It's hilarious. The offensive coordinator, Canada, who's under big heat in Pittsburgh, and there's nothing like Steelers fans, believe me. Um, uh, he, they had the camera on him like they always do on the, on the offensive box. When that play went and they won the game with that play, a long pass down the sideline, he, he showed no emotion at all. And the theory is, is because he didn't call the play. So that's yeah. that's what we're getting in coaching now. So these athletes, it's a rough road for them. Uh, these young athletes have to overcome bad coaching, uh, bad planning. And, and, you know, unfortunately, Hoffman learned the hard way last night. You know, this kid, you got to you gotta have the strength as an athlete to say, I'm going with what got me here. Yeah. If, uh, and, and we're losing that. And, again, bringing it all back together. That's why Bruce Bochy is successful. He watches well, the game, like Will said. You know, uh, I'll, I'll relay a story from my A-ball pitching days. I, uh, I gave up a home run to a little left-handed hitter that uh, was hitting about 210, and I hung a breaking ball, and he hit a home run. And I had my pitching coordinator was in town, Al Widmar, who was a pitcher and pitched in the big leagues, longtime pitching coach in the big leagues and coordinator in our organization with the Orioles. And came in, and he goes, what were you thinking there? I said, well, he called it. And he goes, well, even a jackass can shake his head no. <laughs> um, he said, what did you want to throw? And I said, well, I wanted to throw a fastball. He goes, well, he goes, you're never going to make a good pitch unless you have conviction to throw the pitch that you want to throw. And Dave, you talked about it. If none of our players understand how important conviction is at executing and making pitches, then you're going to have a lot of mediocre pitches that are not thought out very well and, uh, and not have an understanding of a hitter's weakness. You know, the greatest hitters in baseball make out seven out of 10 times, even more now because nobody hits 300. So it's like seven and a half, you know, every, the average, what's the average now? 240 in the big leagues. So it's, it's, it's not even seven and it's not even seven. It's, Almost, almost eight out of ten times. So, are you going to be fearful of people that make outs eight out of ten times? No, make good pitches and understand where guys' strengths and weaknesses are. Now you're prepared to go out and succeed. Take control of it yourself. Oh, I love that point. What, uh, Kevin, and uh, Will, with with the. And- Kevin, with you, with the question you were going to ask too about the night, the guy getting close to 100 yards, I didn't hear anybody bring that up. But and Will, you brought up the the scout friend that spoke up in in the meeting and Sal talking about questioning the combines. It's, it seems like there's an environment out there where it's it's it's, it's when we see it in our social world. Anytime there's a differing opinion from the norm. It, it almost manifests itself in violent oh, yeah. language. Like they see it as violence. Well, um, the, 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 the article yesterday, the, the arrogance of a young sports writer because of the reaction from a bunch of jackasses on Twitter 
that believe in analytics only that John Smoltz, who's a Hall of Fame pitcher, who's making great points about how not just analytically, how you can be successful without analytics in a baseball game. And that team won the game, yet he's being criticized. And it, 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 it's ridiculous. And, well, and let, let, let me take you to the fumble, because I was there for the original fumble, right? And, yeah, Pesarczyk. Um, yeah, Pesarczyk, Joe Pesarczyk. I was, at, I was actually at that game, too. How about that? Oh, wait, that's pretty good. Well, I was covering that game, and, of, of course, it, you know, it was unbelievable. But – in the post-game press conference, guys were jumping over each other to ask about that play. It's, right. And nowadays, you, 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 you I, I, again, I didn't see, so I can't really say what happened in Miami afterwards and what the reaction was. I didn't see the post-game press conference. But as a football coach, and Sal, you've coached football for years, I think isn't it ingrained in your mind that the fumble play was the worst play in, in football history? from an offensive standpoint, and isn't it ingrained in your mind that I'm not going to become the biggest jackass in the history of the sport, so we're going to fall. In. How does a coach let that happen? Yeah, I don't. I couldn't imagine what the thought process is when you see teams taking knees when there's a minute and something to go. You know, you don't even risk it. That, that one play, probably one play changed more about your thought process almost than any others except for maybe some of the uh, opposite versions of that where you had a Hail Mary because defenses were in a regular coverage and not putting a guy back at the at the goal line and playing center field. So uh, to me, the whole thing was mystifying. When I saw it happen, I actually couldn't understand. I thought I missed what the situation was. Right. Uh, and, and that was why they, they ran the ball. But uh, I just – I don't want to get off this track, but I do want to go back to something – you said about the Notre Dame coach who is claiming to rely on analytics and yet mm-hmm. didn't know in the biggest point of the game that he had 10 guys on the field and twice, twice. Yeah, twice and, and made up some excuse. Well, where are your analytics there? Maybe you're so worried about analytics that you've lost track of how to follow the game on the field. That as we've been saying, as you're watching what you don't even realize what you're watching. Well, they don't, uh, baseball, how do you lose a 4 nothing lead late in the game? I mean, there were some plays there with the Phillies last night to get back because we've given the Phillies so much praise. So I, I think it's fair for me to really hammer them now. And, and we are – we're kind of a baseball uh, group here. Um, uh, Trey Turner, how lazy was he? He he, he looked like Labor Torres on the, uh, the throw that came in that allowed Acuna to score. So – they, that's the beauty of, and you see it even in the, in the pregame shows now with Derek Jeter. When they go to Jeter, he's got his edge on right now. And I think what you guys are saying, I think it comes back to a simple thing. Uh, these players don't have the edge on all the time. What did we say a few weeks ago? Or, or I, I know certainly on my show, I'm sure you guys addressed it too. But when Tommy Fan came out and said that, I immediately backed Tommy Fan when he said the Mets weren't working hard. And I got a lot of the, the, the goofy Mets fans. Oh, you know, you can say that about every team. He's been on seven teams. Well, what is Tommy Pham doing now? He's leading Arizona to that shocking uh, 2-0 lead. And he's playing with an edge. I think that's the worst thing that analytics have done and what our society has done. I think it's a combination. You guys brought up a good point, and Dave, about – about you know uh, people afraid to uh, to uh, uh, you know kind of rough the waters a little bit. Nobody plays with very few players play with an edge anymore, and the edge can be different things. It doesn't have to be Tommy Fan yelling at somebody or slapping slapping Jock Peterson because of a fantasy league game. It could be Brock Purdy just being you know really super smart and doing this, or or C.J. Stroud not throwing an interception for so long. So. I think that's the biggest thing we're losing in sports. We're losing players who, who play with an edge across the board. Well, I think on our podcast with Mark, Dave, I said, don't go to sleep on the on the uh, Diamondbacks last week. I said that uh, they play with uh, a, a, an edge that Tori Lavolo, their manager, has. It's an intensity. It's a love of the game. Um, it's a passionate athletic game that they play. Uh, they run every ball out hard. So you better come up and field. you better come field a ground ball and you better come up and make a good throw because they're, they're busting their ass from home to first on every play, not jogging half speed. 
Um, and those guys all stayed healthy all year because they run hard all the time. They don't just run hard selectively. Yeah, good and, point. Uh, and then they have a tremendous veteran pitching coach in Brett Strom who understands how to get hitters out and understands hitters' weaknesses. And he puts together good game plans that his pitchers understand and they can follow and the catchers understand and they execute pitches. Well, well didn't you say earlier, or, or, or not in the show, but when, in one of our conversations or maybe uh, in a text, it's probably easier to pitch now because the, the players are such idiots. You know, well, it's, 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 it's so obvious that everybody's looking at the same data. Okay, so... The pitchers have the data on the hitters. The hitters have the data on what the pitchers do. So the more that you have creativity to stay out of any patterns, because I be I believe that the hitters have become even more guess hitters than ever. You know, it used to be see the ball, hit the ball, react. Okay, you're you're sitting on a fastball. You let the ball. You read it out of the hand. And then you fire on the ball. If it's a fastball, you wait. If it's a breaking ball or a changeup, okay? Now everybody is guessing because they're taking the analytic side of the game. So the more you stay away from patterns and, you know, uh, like there's certain organizations I watch and they throw breaking balls three and two, no matter if the guy throws 100 or he throws 85. The Mets, you know, the Mets do that. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. So if I'm a hitter, in most cases, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at something that's breaking going away from me. And if somebody has the courage to shake off and throw a fastball away, I'm still looking out in that area. So, you know, that's why there's so many more mistakes, too, that, that with two strikes on guys. Because people have become extremely predictable because of analytics. Like I said, were you going to jump in? Uh, I had made that. I just wanted to make that point about the analytics being, you know, uh, at the forefront, and yet you don't know how many guys you have on the field. But well, I think it just distracts from the obvious, to be honest. Well, with from you. a joke standpoint, I say it all the time: as good as they are with analytic numbers and all these complicated formulas, they can't count ten versus eleven, and in baseball we seem to not be able to value starting pitching that goes seven innings and not having to use four relievers every night. Well, let me, let me, that's a good point. And let me compliment the, uh, let me compliment the twins. Cause they, I've been on the twins for years as being a, a goofball organization because of the nerds. And I think what's happened is when you bring in a player like Correa, Correa, Carlos Correa, things change, but they, uh, you know, Justin Verlander, you know, he does his job in game one with Houston. He has the edge. You know they're going to win that game. When the Twins come back and win a game, they got to win. And, and Correa gets a big hit. Pablo Lopez does his thing. He does, you know, and, and again, he's he's kind of like an anti-analytic guy as well. And they bunted. When they needed to bunt and they got two runs, they bunted. And, and he, A.J. Brzezinski, who I like, I've known A.J. for years, He's a little stubborn. That's why he was successful. But he's talking during the game like there's no way they're going to bunt here. No way. And, of course, they bunted. They moved the runners over. And A.J.'s reaction is, well, he was bunting for a hit. It doesn't matter. He bunted and got the guys over. So the teams that are making – bouncing back on both yours and Sal's points about the analytics, the teams that are playing more of the real sport are succeeding. And when are we going to realize that? When are we going to realize it's not the NASA guys, the MIT guys? Uh, David Stearns, he's got the job with the Mets. I want to see how this goes because you guys know I said Billy Epley was a terrible choice from day one. I, I was proven right once again. Big point with Billy Epler. How many managers, how many GMs have been there when, when, when Hall of Fame, I, and I call them Hall of Fame managers, you may disagree, but yeah, a, a Joe Madden, Mike Sosha, and Buck Showalter. Billy was the GM when all of them lost their job. What does that tell you? So, so I'm I'm holding off on David Stearns because uh, our buddy Jim Rooney knows a little bit about him, and he was there, and some of the changes made, and and let's see what happens there. But the, everybody thinks you spend money, you have more analytics, you're going to win. It's not always that way. Uh, well, you know, and Kevin, to go back to another article. Uh, 
nobody must have read your article on interviewing uh, Brian Sabian up in Boston. And oh, not, same, not age realize, same age as Dombrowski, who's done not, a wonderful job. Not not realizing what Bochy's done in Texas, that, oh, wow, maybe that guy that led San Francisco to three World Series, maybe he might be a decent guy to interview. No, no, we can't go that direction. So, Well, we got closing up on an hour well, with, with you guys. I appreciate all your time. Where do we want to leave the audience today? Kevin, what's, what's our, our last push to drive them into this week of shows and next week with us? Well, again, we, we, you know, I think the thing you're getting here, I think you got guys who, who kind of, you know, had to claw and move up the line. I'm talking about us, all of us. We're not soft. We're not soft. I mean, I, I started at a little newspaper in New Jersey. I wasn't an Ivy League guy. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm proud to say when I was at, at Rampo College, we beat Harvard in a tournament in Florida. And that was fun. Uh, you know, so, so, you know, we've all worked hard to get to where we got. And, and I think the biggest, what I'm seeing in sports now, and I went Sal to address this. I think kids, I think we need to, um, I think we need to make our kids tougher mentally and physically. And I think we can't listen to what the crowd is saying about, uh, and I'm talking about real life now. There's a thing, and I don't want to get into this because I don't want to get thrown off the station the first day. But <laughs> but uh, there's things happening in real life where you got to put yourself in common sense situations and say, this might not be the best idea to do, you know? So we need to make our kids tougher, uh, not soft. And we need to teach them that everything's not perfect in this world. And, and there's a lot of bad people out there. Yeah, I mean, I've seen when with working with kids now for 35 plus years, the lack of ability, and, and it goes to what you said, Kevin, about, and Will said about making things too easy for their kids. Kids are very, have a very difficult time understanding that little details matter. And it could be something as simple as the position your feet are in when you're starting an activity, a movement, I'm thinking if you can't listen to, and I say this to kids all the time, if you can't listen to me here when we're one-on-one and we, I've used this in a team setting as well. If you can't listen to me when we are not under pressure, there's not a game going on. I'm speaking directly to you. If you can't take that little bit of a correction and put it into action in this setting, I'm never going to have faith in your ability to do that when you're on the field and I'm yelling to you over the crowd and I expect you to make the adjustment. So it starts with all those little things. And I just had this talk with two of my guys yesterday, two very good young players, but they're, they're missing that. And I'm trying to bring that to them because I said, as you go up the ladder and I know the high school they're at, and I know their high school coach is going to expect that of them. And when they, if they want to play in college, that's going to be something that's important in college. So what's your success rate with that, Sal? Roughly, and it says changed through the years when you give them a little bit of uh, tough love. Well, I mean, I, I've always been one of those kind of guys that was very good and, and related to kids and joked with them. But when, when it came time for them to be the player and I'm the coach, I've done it. I haven't had to do it a lot because I think I've been fortunate enough to A, be pretty good at what I do and B, have had amazingly great athletes to work with. Uh, I've had very good success in my days of high school coaching and in college coaching with success. And we, we, I don't want to delve too deeply into that. But when I was at Chad and we sent kids to all the top schools for lacrosse in both the male and female side and sent kids to a whole bunch of schools and a whole bunch of sports and who went on and did great things. So that that is something that needs to be done. And it, it was just as recently as a couple of years when I stopped my high school career we did a lot with a little, and I think that has something to do with it, paying attention to those details. And and it goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, stripping away all the BS that so many coaches and front office types get tied up in. Uh, great. Is that where we want to end it today, guys? Yeah. I like it. That was a great show today. Uh, Kevin, make sure we follow Kevin Kern in America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, our Hall of Famer. 
on Ball 9, two great articles every week. Uh, I think our whole baseball community looks forward to, to reading those. It's refreshing, asking the questions nobody's asking, hitting the points everybody else is afraid to bring up. We bring a little bit of that onto the show each week, but to make sure we're following him and supporting our brothers over there. We have Will George and Mark Wiley, a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Uh, we got Roy Smith coming on at the end of the week, scout with the New York Mets, and then Sal Marinello, the hot corner with Coach Sal. Always a provocative show there, bringing up points in the in the uh, sports and fitness and training industry that nobody else is addressing here. Great lineup for you guys this week. This is episode 309 on Real Voices of the Games, coaching Kern. And guys, great show. Glad to have everybody back. Great to be here. Great to be here, guys. Have a good week.